Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 35 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Driving Value from Your People. Establishing a winning culture. As leaders, we spend an inordinate amount of time, energy, and resources trying to squeeze every drop of juice out of the lemon when it comes to the concrete and tangible elements of business. We look for cost efficiencies, value accretive mergers and acquisitions, growth projects, product innovation, and greater capital productivity. However, 
we often ignore one of the greatest sources of untapped value, the people who work for the organisation day in and day out. They have an incredible impact on company performance, and the only way we can realise their full potential is through providing the strong leadership that creates a high-performance culture. Interestingly, this is the one area that most leaders tend to avoid. Now, my main goal in this episode is to try and shift your perspective a little. And if the truth be told, I'm going to do that in the first couple of minutes of this podcast episode. I'm going to go on to talk about how leadership drives culture and culture drives performance. We're going to examine what a high-performance culture looks like and then what type of leader does it take to build this high-performance culture. So let's get into it. In order to shift your thinking on people and culture, I want to start by giving you three common workplace scenarios. Many of you will have had experience in at least one of these three. Scenario one, I'm reporting to you and you've given me accountability for negotiating a deal on behalf of the organisation for the sale of a non-core part of the business and we valued this at around $10 million. How would you react if I came to you one day and said, hey Christine, you know that deal we're negotiating that we think's worth around $10 million? Well, look, I think it could be pretty hard work and very time-consuming to extract that price through the negotiation process, so I think we should just do the deal now and settle out for $5 million and move on. Ridiculous, right? Let's have a look at scenario two. I'm reporting to you, and I have accountability as the head of marketing for releasing a new consumer product into the market. All our marketing competitor research tells us that the product should be priced at $495. So how would you react if I walked into your office and said, Jeff, all our analytical research tells us that the market will pay $495 for this product. But look, I think we should sell it for $295 because if we do, our customers will really like us and we'll appear to be really nice people. Crazy, right? Third scenario. I'm a procurement category manager running a large tender process to select a supplier on a multi-year services contract. It's time for me on behalf of the evaluation team to make a recommendation for which supplier to choose. And in my final presentation to the Chief Procurement Officer, I say, the tender process has been extremely thorough. In all aspects of the process, Company X has shone through. They've clearly delivered the best combination of price, value, service and risk management. However, we really like the saleswoman from Company Y, Janine. So we're recommending that we award the contract to Company Y instead. Completely unthinkable, isn't it? These three scenarios are ridiculous, crazy and unthinkable. Yet more often than not, this is exactly how leaders treat the people issues and challenges that confront them. What's the human equivalent of these three scenarios? The first one. I know I should be getting more out of Dave, but it's really hard and I'm too busy to spend that amount of time on it to help him to lift his performance. Scenario two. I know I could be getting a lot more value out of the team if I push them a bit harder, but if I just keep them happy, they'll really like me, and everything will be good. Besides, I don't want to demotivate them. Scenario three. While Sue is clearly the top performer, she's a bit serious for my liking, and nowhere near as popular as Kevin, so I think I might promote Kevin instead. In what world is that approach acceptable, if the business scenarios we started with aren't? Hey guys, Em here. I hope you love listening to the podcast just as much as Marty and I love producing it. That's why we're here, to deliver real, practical value to as many leaders across the planet as we possibly can.
Now, while taking the lessons from the podcast is fantastic, it's no substitute for having an experienced and successful CEO working with you directly. Imagine how powerful it would be to have someone of Marty's caliber there to advise on your specific context and to show you how to drive better performance through leadership. Marty has a very limited number of opportunities in Australia in the coming months for high-performance leadership development work with either individuals or teams before he heads to the US later this year. He combines a unique and potent mix of mentoring, coaching, and management consulting to deliver an accelerated development experience that very few providers have the expertise and capability to deliver. If you'd like to chat about having Marty either work with you one-on-one or to create change within your organization by working with your leadership team, shoot me an email at emma at yourceomentor.com. This opportunity is limited, so if you know you need this, contact us and we'll find out if it's a good fit. All right, back to the episode. These things that can go largely unnoticed in the people and culture space have a massive impact on your team. They establish the cultural norms for behaviour and performance. They set the expectations and standards that your people learn are required of them. They signal to your people what's important to you. Now, I don't know exactly when this happened, but increasingly the conversation on leadership has become super fluffy. All the talk now seems to be about what makes a great leader and is largely driven by desirable leadership attributes. And I've spoken about this in episodes before. Now, don't get me wrong. Who you are as a leader is incredibly important. However, we seem to have forgotten the object of the exercise. As leaders, we are here to create value in a range of different ways and for all sorts of different stakeholders. But we need to understand the maxim that leadership drives culture and culture drives performance. That's why we're here. The point is, you can be a well-liked leader without being a highly effective leader. Great leaders are both highly respected and highly effective. Some of them are even well-liked because, let's face it, it's not mutually exclusive. But remember, the mantra always has to be respect before popularity. Now, before we get deep into the culture discussion, just a reminder about making sure you have the right team. Building the right team is a prerequisite, and I speak about this quite a bit. Now, I'm going to get up your ribs about this from time to time because a lot of your leaders will take the same approach that you used to before you became a no-bullshit leader. And that approach is, everyone is wonderful, there's a place for everyone regardless of their choices around their own behaviour and performance, we support all the people no matter what they do, and we ignore the elephant in the room. To make this point when I'm giving a keynote speech, I use one simple image of a high-precision aerobatic display team. Seven jet aircraft performing choreographed manoeuvres with the aircraft in extraordinarily close proximity of each other. And when I put that slide up, I just ask a bunch of questions of the audience. Of the seven pilots, what do you think their capability is individually? Do you think they are merely average pilots? What do you think their individual commitment to excellence might be? How much tolerance do you think there is in the group for underperformance or choosing on a given day to not be at your best? How much tolerance would your fellow pilots have for poor behaviour or poor attitude? How much do they rely on the leader to motivate and drive them? And how much are they driven by their intrinsic motivation and quest for excellence? We just need to bear in mind, it is so much easier to rein in a stallion than it is to flog a donkey. Now, if you look at your team in that light, you'll be able to draw your own conclusions. 
As I said, you can easily choose to ignore it. No one above you is probably going to give you grief about it. And you can continue on regardless with what you've got, but at least be self-aware enough to recognise your conscious choice on this. It may well be the case that your organisational culture might not support the concept of diligently building a high-performing team. But for goodness sake, if that's the case, then don't believe your own bullshit and talk about a high-performance culture, particularly if you have an Uncle Albert, as we spoke about last week. That just makes you look out of touch at best or hypocritical at worst. So what does a high-performance culture look like? Great cultures that deliver results are characterised by a bunch of things, but I'm going to pick out six that I think are really important. And the first of these is strong individual accountability and ownership of issues. People know what they're tasked to deliver and they accept their accountabilities confidently and willingly. There's no fear or blame, it's just what they do. They love that they're trusted to do their job and they can in turn trust the people around them to do theirs because there's a no-tourist policy and they can rely on their team. The second thing about a high-performance culture is empowerment. And this is the other side of the accountability coin. This is what enables people to feel as though they can make a difference. They have the support and the autonomy to do the job that they've been given, and they have decision rights and control over their domain. Without that, the accountability is hollow. The third thing is an excellence over perfection mindset. The sense of urgency about forward progress is palpable, and it drives great results based on smart decisions from leaders with seasoned judgment. We don't get stuck in either admiring the precision of our work or being paralysed when we can't analyse our problems to the nth degree. We get on with it, we move smart, and we move fast. The fourth thing is an expectation of robust challenge and debate, within clear boundaries, of course. Now, this is underpinned by respect for each other, but constructively harnessing the natural tensions in your organisation is critical to getting good decisions made and great results. So, for example, there will be natural tensions between legal and sales. There will be natural tensions between risk management and manufacturing. But robust challenge has to be something that's not just accepted, but expected and demanded from every single person in your team. You may have heard me say before in regards to my direct reports, is that I had to get something different out of them. I'd say to them, you've got to bring something unique to the table. Because if you think the same as me, then at least one of us is redundant. And guess what? Probably not me. Number five is achievement orientation. A value over activity mindset. What are we actually achieving? How is this improving the organisation? And is what we do today making a tangible difference to the performance of the organisation? Having that focus on the outcomes and the outputs and not simply cranking the handle is a really important indicator of a high-performance culture. And finally, there's working across boundaries. And we've got to be a little bit careful with this one because collaboration is all the rage. And some organisations now have a tendency to over-collaborate. Everyone has to get a say, everyone has to have their point of view across, and some people can operate with power of veto. But working across boundaries is all about drawing on the best the team has to offer without actually diluting the accountability of the decision maker or becoming a consensus-driven decision-making culture. What type of leader does it take to drive this high-performance culture? Well, in any organisational team, 
Nothing different happens unless a leader makes it happen. So that's you, right? You've got to take this on for yourself. And changing a culture is not for the faint at heart. It takes discipline, perseverance, time, energy, some pain, a bunch of momentum, some tough decisions, courage, influence, collaboration. It takes a bunch of things to change a culture. But to borrow an analogy from a colleague of mine, Megan Houghton, she said, culture change is like teenage sex. Everyone says they're doing it. In reality, very few people are actually doing it. And those that are doing it are sort of fumbling around in the dark wondering what the hell is going on. So with all this talk about culture change, what does it really take? There are millions of combinations of skills, capabilities and structures that can drive a high-performance culture. And when we spoke a few weeks ago about your leadership fingerprint, I hope you understand that you can be uniquely you and do this. But I just want to highlight two things, just two, without which you are unlikely to be able to change any culture. The first one of these is, you have to be a leader who pays attention. And when I say pay attention, you've got to pay attention to the people stuff just as much as the more tangible pursuits of business that we heard earlier in this episode. If you're not paying attention to the people in the culture, it'll get away from you and you have no chance of understanding it, of measuring it, and certainly not of changing it. The second thing is, you have to be a leader who burns the boats. And you've probably heard this expression before, but it originates back to the 16th century when the explorer Cortes landed in Mexico and burnt the boats. His basic premise was, we prevail here or we die. That's it. And it takes that level of commitment to changing a culture that says, we will not go back no matter what. And everything I do, every symbol I set up, every move I make, every message I send confirms the fact that we are not going back. And we won't go back, not as long as I'm standing. And so if you want to be a leader who drives change into a high-performance culture, then you better pay attention and you better burn the boats. If you can manage to do this with your unique style and approach, you'll take your team to heights they could never have reached without you. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 35. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So if you like this episode, please share it around your leadership network so that we can reach even more leaders. I look forward to next week's episode. If money doesn't motivate, then what does? Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>